Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted by Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. We have the most interesting guest on this episode. Karen Walsh is the author of a really unique book. It's technically a children's book or a family project book. It provides a step-by-step program allowing families to make educated decisions prior to or post bringing a dog into their family. This book is grounded in animal welfare through education, which of course resonates with me. So what is the name of this book? Well, the name of this book is actually a question that gets asked every 0.7 seconds somewhere around the world. Stay tuned to find out. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful dogologist for three decades and expert in canine cognitive behavioral therapy. And I have with me Karen. Hey, Karen, how's it going? All good, Billy. Thank you for inviting me on your show. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. And you're joining us from the UK. So it is what, the afternoon there? It's the afternoon in Ireland, not the UK. <laughs> not the, Oh, you're in Ireland. That's right. Yes. I forgot about that. That's right. So what are what's your uh what's your season there? Um well you only have two seasons in Ireland where it's raining and cold or not raining and cold. So <laughs> luckily today it's not raining. Yay, well that's a good sign. That's hilarious. Okay, so I'm gonna just dive right into this because your book is so unique. I, I think the reason it is so unique is the reason behind it why why you're really what you're really getting into in this book and so do, do you want to just start with that with why you just decided this is such an important book for you to create i suppose it's a very simple reason that um the the group behind this and there's if you like a core group of about eight people and then Roughly more than 50 experts, including yourself, Billy, who has had a, a part in the book. Um, Which I really appreciate. Very simply trying to change the world. <laughs> it really it's is a simple a, task. <laughs> it's a simple task. And um, the way we're trying to change the world is by changing a conversation. And mm. everybody will tell you, you know, quite often, your life can change after a conversation. You can meet somebody, have a conversation with them, and suddenly you're in a new job, a new life. Could be a new husband, a new wife, or sorry, I would say a first husband or a first wife. <laughs> um, this or a conversation, new one. <laughs> or a new one. Uh, this, this, this conversation is no different. And this is a strange conversation. It's a conversation between a child and an adult. And there are sort of two properties to it. The first one is it happens somewhere in the world almost twice every second. Okay. So you look at the total number of dogs that are adopted every year and you divide that by the number of seconds in a day and which category. And suddenly you discover that around the world there is a child asking an adult to have a dog in the house um, 
roughly somewhere between every 0.6 and 0.8 of a second. So that and conversation the, is the uh, mom, dad, my best friend has a dog, so I want one too? That's the conversation. Right. And so maybe just to put a, a sort of a mathematical feel to this and a logical feel to it, which is now the statistics are a little bit tricky because it all depends on which source of information you take on. And even the best researchers will say, well, we could be wrong about our statistics. And that's, that's everything from veterinary reports to grooming to veterinary association, international veterinary associations. So say the global figure is that there's somewhere between 600 million to 900 million dogs in the world. Then you have to work out how many of those are street dogs, how many of them are pet dogs, in other words, domesticated dogs. In the States, it's a very good example where there's very few street dogs. You go to South America, you go to Asia, there's some countries, it's about 70% of the dogs are street dogs. And the, the, the minority are actually pet dogs. So what we're looking at for, for this for purpose of, of the book is the number of adoptions that take place every year. So every year you'll have a natural mortality rate, about 10% of the dog herd. And almost immediately you'll have 10%, or roughly that number, slightly above, slightly below, depending on what's happening in the world. But that would be the number of adoptions that take place. So in the US, this conversation will happen every 4.3 seconds. There will okay, be. So it, it, let me just ask a question here. So when you say adoptions, are you only talking about dogs that are adopted or included in these stats? Are you talking about dogs that these families may or may not get from? A reputable breeder. Okay, that's. Um, so, are you talking about the the dogs that these these families are are getting? Okay, when it's that, it's only, or is this a whole other conversation? <laughs> no, no, I, I, that, no. That that's a very it's a very fair question, a very good question. So, I, I, I perhaps just focus on the. The general sure. landscape for a moment. Sure. So when we talk about, about canine adoptions, um, and we take the states, so it, it, it generally falls into a few different groupings. So about 20% of dogs that go into a home are usually into a person who is about 60 years plus, and they've recently lost their husband, the wife, the partner, and they need a companion animal. And they will, this, this group, they will take their time. And the dog will arrive eventually. So they will probably know somebody who they've had a, a many years friendship with, who even knows the local rescue shelter manager. And the dog arrives and a lot of research is done. It's usually an excellent fit and there's very few problems. Now, the other 80%, it's usually into the home where you have a six to 10 year old child and one parent or two parents in the, in the house. And the way that need is served is roughly 50% of that demand comes from the rescue shelters. Then 
the breeders, this is the commercial breeders. Now, there's two types of breeders. We'll say there's the authentic, licensed, reputable commercial breeder, and they will serve about 15% of the market. And I'll put it this way. They are more choosy about who gets their dogs than the other way around. So you're talking about a very exceptional element in the landscape. If you get a dog from a professional commercial breeder, you run into a lot of demands very quickly. One of them, for example, is that you won't actually own the dog, you'll co-own the dog, that the breeder will demand that in the contract, um, they will have a right to take the dog back if there's any poor reports coming back, they'll have the right of inspection and so on. The other 35% of the market is served by bogus breeders, puppy mills. Um, and this is really, I would say, a center of horror and evil. Now, as as I, I spent many years working as a volunteer in a rescue shelter, and I'm a professional dog trainer. And I had incidences where I had to look after dogs that came from these um, bogus puppy mills that were often raided by the police. And to, maybe to, to drive the point home, when the dogs from or the puppies from a puppy mill are examined by a vet, usually three to four out of every seven have to be put down immediately because the genetics and the organs are so weak, they don't have a hope of survival. But that's what, the, that's what the breeders don't care about because once there's a cute picture on the internet and there's an ill-informed choice being made, the credit card comes out, the dog will probably stay alive for a few months. And that's anything from $500 to $3,000 that changes hands very quickly. So, so your Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Billy. I was just going to say your book is just to, to uh, inform the listeners here is, is actually um, it looks as though it's, it's a child's book. It's a family friendly book. It, it works for both adults and children, but it is, um, you know, pictures and, and a lot of drawings. And I don't know if it's cartoons or I guess it would be just drawings simply. And uh, quite quite well done. I love that. But some of the topics here are are pretty heavy. I mean, I I know you, so I know that, uh, and and we know a lot of the same people in in the animal welfare world. And as much as we all have the same goal, we also each have our own like real hard hit point that is just really super heartfelt to us. And they all work together. And I know that yours is um, anti backyard breeding, which is a very valid and, and a great cause. Um, and that's a pretty heavy subject. So do you get into that? Uh, you, you know, I, I've obviously read your book. <laughs> um, in, in the book, I, I find you, you present these topics in such an interesting way because they are heavy, yet it's a child's book, yet you do get the point across. Mm. Do you, is that a purpose? Because it seems to me that that's a purpose for this book is to, well, I've read it a few places in, in what you've said is to to get those right out of business. And it's interesting that it, that a child's book has the goal of, uh, you know, dismissing or eliminating or just 
getting rid of these these backyard breeders. It's such a it, it's such an interesting way of approaching that topic. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, I didn't really ask a question there, but I just I just you know it it's just such an interesting way. So so let's talk about the book and and how it does that. How how you go through on the book and and it and bring these points to life in a way that also connects to the children. So tell us about that. Right. I suppose maybe to explain very briefly in, in sure. a former life, I, I was a financial advisor. And one of the things we always look at in the financial world is what's the trigger that causes expenditure and what's the aftermath? And in the model where we looked at, you know, the 35% of the puppy mill market can only exist if there's an ill-informed decision made. Right. Now, you lo let's look at it from a very similar vantage point, which is if nobody bothered to buy illegal drugs, the entire drug market would collapse. Yeah, supply and demand. Right. So in other words, that entire market depends on people needing needing to spend money or, well, maybe need is not the word, but um, choosing. choosing, wanting, choosing. Mm -hmm. Now, the same is very, is very similar with the puppy mill industry because the profits are almost identical. I know this will sound crazy, but when you look at the money involved, it is not very far behind the sale of illegal arms and illegal drugs. So every year, the expenditure on puppy mill dogs in the States is between four and seven billion. Yes, That's about 180 to 90 dollars going into that into that industry every second. And that's all done on ill-informed choices. So what this book is trying to do is it, it's, it's definitely multifaceted and we're, we're trying to solve a lot of social problems in the, one, in the one edition. So very simply, when you look at all of the possible triggers that, causes, that cause dogs to be adopted or even neglected within a, within a home, it all comes down to mismanagement. Um, lack of skills, lack of information, not necessarily a lack of care. No. Um, I think a lot of people start out with good intentions. A lot of my clients do. They start out with very good intentions. It's just yeah. the reality check sets in. And that's what I love so much about your book is it, it uh, provides that reality check, if, if you want to call it that, prior so it's interesting because it could actually turn people off from adopting, which seems so opposite to what we all want to do. You know, we want people to get dogs and to bring, whether they get them from a reputable breeder or adopt them from a shelter or rescue. But we want these people, these really good people to have these dogs. And yet what's so unique about your book is, is you're saying if you, if you, you know, go through this book and the step-by-step -step program and it doesn't you know, you can't answer these questions or you answer them in ways that might get you to think twice about getting a dog. So it's interesting because it can actually 
deter people from getting one in a good way? Well, the uh, I would say a deterrent would be accidental and at the lowest mm. lowest end of the ambition scale. So okay. what this basically does is it creates a space between the child's question and the parent's answer. There you go. Okay. And it's right. it's the first effort to facilitate this space. So when the child asks the question, what the book basically does is give the parent a chance to assess the resolve behind the child's demand. Now, at the same time, if the child is 100% serious, reads the love story between the rescue shelter dog, and then the parent goes through the narrative, which is there, and then underneath the narrative, there's a series of learning tasks. And if the child persists and goes through the learning task through the entire book, then what you'll get is a different breed of child. In other words, you'll have a child that's dedicated. And as the book unfolds, the child will be armed with a lot of project management skills. In other words, very quickly, the child will understand how a dog sees the world, how a dog moves into a new environment, the importance of time, the importance of space, the importance of quietness. and these are all sort of very soft skills and very subtle skills. But by the time the child gets to the end of the book, they'll have a different way of not just seeing how a dog behaves or whether they really want a dog, but probably they'll have a different way of seeing the entire world. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. Because I think you're right where a lot of people think, okay, we're going to get up in the morning. And we're going to let the dog out to the yard and we're going to feed the dog and, and walk the dog and then put the dog in the crate and go to work and school and such things. And they have this planned out. But that overall, you know, it, it, or we have to pick up the dog's poo. You know, we have tasks that are like physical tasks, but the mental, the mindset of, you know, you might want to be on the on your phone or device with your friends but your dog's going to want to play. You know, your dog's going to want to hang out. And it's just that overall time where they might not think, you know, that all of a sudden at 4.15, they can just stop playing with their dog. So it that that is, I do like that a lot about your book, is it's not just ticking the boxes on the tasks. It's a mindset. It's a complete mindset, and that's um, that's probably what's needed to change around the world if any of the problems we've talked about earlier are going to change. And it's it's the old phrase, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And mm -hmm. when we discuss, and when I say we, the, the core group I work with and many of the experts I've worked with, we looked at all the different aspects, you know, from the legal to how rescue shelters, how charities work. And there's all these connections along the road, but every year it's like the system is self-programmed to fail again and fail again the following year. And one of the statistics that shot out at me when I was looking at the, um, the number of strays in Ireland and the UK 
and in a lot of countries, it seems to be like flatline that every year you get almost an identical number of stray dogs that are picked up by the warden service. And it's like that never goes up much or goes down much. Hmm. And, this, you know, and the same, the number of dogs that are euthanized in rescue shelters, it's almost flatlined. So what came across when I was looking at the statistics was we have a system in many countries that's designed to mop up a problem rather than solve it. Yeah. Now, there are some countries that are very good at solving it. I will mention one, which is the gold standard, and I, which is Switzerland. Yeah. And they have a completely different mindset. Now, the Swiss, I would say, they have a different mindset about a lot of things. I was about uh, to say that is a holistic. I was. It's not just a, you know their whole mindset, which it's easier to take on that mindset on one area if all your other areas follow that same type of mindset. Yeah. And what the idea behind this book is is to sort of take a look at the best practices and see can we bring them in in a soft law or an influential way without trying to stuff it down anyone's neck. Now what I mean by that is in Switzerland everything is driven top down rule of law. And if you opened a puppy mill in Switzerland or if you walked a dog without a license, you'd be doing a lot of time. You'd be paying a fortune or you'd be doing a lot of time in jail. And it's a country where they, they don't take excuses, which is fair enough. That's, that's how things are done there. But the important lesson from these countries is that the onus of responsibility is on the individual. It's not on the state to pick up the tab at the end of the day. So to give you a very simple example of how that works, in Switzerland, you must do a theory course if you want to own a dog. And then once you've the theory course, you have to go and get indemnity insurance and health insurance for the dog. And then you go down to the town hall and you pay about $1,500 for the dog license. After that, you may take possession of the dog. You have 30 days to make sure the dog is vaccinated, um, vet inspected. Then you go back to the dog training school where you're assessed if you're actually able to take care of the dog and walk the dog. Now, if the dog trainers at the dog training school are unhappy with what they see, your license can be stopped or you can be asked to come back for some training sessions. Now, I know everybody who hears that would say, oh, well, that could never work <laughs> where, where we live. Forget it. Now, what I would say is, hold on a minute. In the last week, Spain just announced they're going to bring in a compulsory training course for anybody who wants a dog by 2030. So the tide is shifting. It's very slow, but this is the way to go. And now what I would say is, and with the book and a lot of the people I've worked with the last year, they're basically saying, if you wait for legislation, it might not produce the goods the way you hope. And there might be some, what's the word? There's the law of unintended consequences. So the whole point of the book is we go for the element that could be changed the simplest, but have the largest impact. So Children. the whole point here is if your child asks for a dog, this is the perfect book 
if your child has a dog already, this is still the perfect book because it's a day-by-day manual, but it's set in terms of how your dog looks at you and what's going on in the dog's head, you know, and then there's the importance of training, the importance of good food. And it's never too late. If you have a dog for a few years, I would suggest get this book because there's some elements in it that that will guarantee a lot of happiness in the home. And for example, one of them, which was one, there's one chapter written by Debbie Hamilton, who's a, a leading lawyer and animal advocate in the States. And she's written a lovely piece about how to consider what might happen if your legal status changes, how your dog's status changes. So quite simply, if you become disabled in the morning or you were delayed at an airport, you weren't able to get back for a few weeks and your dog was taken into care, would it be destroyed immediately? So she has a very simple chapter in that, plus a form that anybody can download, fill out, and it solves that problem. Yes, so, it's a solution-oriented book, definitely. It's a solution-oriented book, a planning-oriented book. And I would say to any parent, look, take a look at this. It's worth a try. And in the long term, and I do mean this, the very long term, it's more than just a love story and a bit of amusement for a child. But you'll be creating a mindset for your child. How do I look at a situation? What's a narrative? Do I need to learn anything? So as your child goes through life, there'll be times when new relationships, either personal or in the work, have to be taken out. So if they have this training between six and 10, well, then, you know, going to college, going yeah. in with a different group, yeah. then the complexities and the shock, they're all gone. This is, this is a way of doing it. And yeah. I, the best teacher I had in life was the dog we got from the rescue shelter. There you go. Dogs are the best teachers. Absolutely. It's interesting that you say about the dog's perception, because that's really what cognitive behavioral therapy is all about, is is the dog's perception. They can do no right or wrong. It's a matter of learning that perception and then working with it. And uh, the, the dog in your book is a, a mature rescued dog. So obviously Leo has his own perceptions. So yeah, I think it's it's a great book because it not only focuses on one topic, but there's so many, you know, the, the obvious that we have to take the dog to the vet, um, some basic training, uh, then there's grooming, and then there's uh, Deborah Hamilton. Um, you know, there's just so many facets to think about, and perhaps maybe the way Switzerland does it forces that thinking process. Yes, changing the thought patterns over. I think the only way to get out of the, the present difficulties is take a long 10 to 20 year view of it. Start early, start with the children. Um, and I agree with that. Yeah, because there's some countries that have enacted laws like Costa Rica when I was there on on how to treat the street dogs. And everyone said, oh, no, I, you know, you can make it illegal to to treat them poorly, but no one will ever enforce it. It won't get done. And, you know, the older generation was a bit of a, a tougher. That was more challenging. But as the as the younger generation started to get older and and deal with these community dogs and these street dogs they have seen a big de- decrease in the abuse to the street dogs 
And, and that's, that generation had to grow up with it and grow up with that law. So sorry to interrupt you once again, but uh, it reminded me of that. I hadn't thought about that. And I didn't think about that when I was reading your book, but it, it is a, to catch that generation and change their mindset. Yeah, it's, um, no, I've, I've seen, I've been in countries where street dogs are 60, 70% of the national dog herd. And the condition most of them are in is appalling. You know, that, that, um, and, you know, when you talk to the managers of the animal pharma companies, again, there's this sort of bind, well, we can help charities to a certain extent, but it, it's a very difficult struggle. And the struggle really, it really has to come. What, what type of society do the children want to live in? And if that can be clarified at a young age, then it will it will take control very quickly. So that that that, that that's as I would say is the the quickest way to get the best solution. You can bring in laws, and then you're always at the mercy of enforcement and the money to enforce them. And laws are only as good as the people who are within the laws and who are willing to enforce them. But that can be that can be very difficult. Which I think is why regulating the industry is challenging because it's it becomes a whole different way of doing things. You know, a complete people don't think about it, but they'll say, "Oh, this has to be, you know, scientifically proven." Or this, well, if it's non-regulated, you you can't do everything that way. There's just simply no regulation, and that has good and bad and all sorts of different effects. But I did want to anyway. That's a whole other topic. But what I wanted to to get to uh, talk to you about is with my clients, because I deal with families, I find it funny that, and I talk about this in another episode, that a lot of the, the bulk of the responsibility goes on the one family member. Sometimes it's, it's the man, commonly it's the woman. And uh, sometimes the kids are far more step up to the plate and, and come to the sessions and, and do the work. And I'll ask questions in my sessions and then the kids will have all the answers. And, the, and the, you know, that some of the other family members, the adults will be, really? What? The dog does? Oh, I didn't know. You guys do that. With <laughs> you know, So it's a matter. And I find my stats definitely prove if, if the more family members that are involved, the higher chances of success. Yeah. So sometimes the kids are right on board. And it's, it's some of the adults that are, ah, you guys can deal with it. <laughs> and when the dog's good, let me know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's totally understandable. Whenever I've been to dog training conferences, they, two factors sort of jump out. One is about 85% of the participants there are female. So dog training is very much a female world and dog care is very much a female world. Then when it comes to family commitment to the dog, um, it's very much the ill-informed choice is shouting out every day. And it's the lack of a consensus about how do we work together over the next 10 to 15 years. And when that's not there, this is what you get. So what's very common, what's very common, I saw this 
almost every week at the rescue shelter, you would have a family coming in and they will get a dog and it'll be the child pushing it, the, the mother going along with it and the father being less than enthusiastic but keeping the show together. Now, what the book is trying to do is reverse that. In other words, where, what's the joint resolve? Who's signing up for this? And if you like, the hidden message in the book is this is a contract, not just between the child and the dog. It's a contract between the family, the dog, underlined over X number of years. And there's a part in the book which explains how do the children deal with the day when the dog may pass away? In other words, when grief comes into the family. and Hopefully, you know, the dog would be the first to go in any family. That's I know that sounds terrible, it sounds harsh, mm -hmm. but that's that's Logical. that is yeah. basically a godsend if if your pet is the first to go in your family. Um usually they have a shorter life expectancy lifespan than every anybody than any other member of the family. And the book explains how children should approach it. And um, we were very fortunate. We did, we did a couple of child psychologists advising us on how to put that chapter together. Um, mm -hmm. That'd be a tough so one. It's a tough one. And we were in two minds, should it be in there or not be in there? And it, I think it's it's quite properly in there. But um, as I said, they, they, if you have all of the family buying into it. Now, if, where you have cases where you can't get a comprehensive buy-in from the parent or parents and the children maybe that's not the right time maybe this isn't the project to run with at the moment now it doesn't mean it won't be the right project to run with in a year or two years but certainly not at the moment so like in the focus group we had three children out of ten saying it sounded like a good idea but i don't really want to do any more of these learning tasks. And I prefer to go back on the bicycle or play football with my friends. Now. Yeah, there you go. Then, you know, you'll have parents who say, well, got out of jail free there. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the book is a little bit of a get out of jail free card because, you know, we're going to go through this book. And now how do we feel about things? And so, again, that that is a that's. A, <laughs> I keep doing this, but that's the way that cognitive behavioral therapy works, right? You provide skills and education and you, and through that skill and education, they make those decisions themselves. They decide, huh, now that, now that I have this knowledge, maybe we shouldn't get a dog. And it, and it just works better instead of the parent saying, no, 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 no. Because you can only, you can only do that so much with a dog and you can only do that so much with children. But to actually have this book and go through it together as a family. And the kids might surprise the parents. They might. As you said, oh, it's, it's not to deter always them. do. Yeah. 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 And I, what, a, what a great family thing to do together and to make that decision. And, and uh, yeah, I think it's a really, a really, really unique and needed and progressive book. And the, and the mindset that it comes from and the mindset that it creates. 
Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to add? I mean, for sure, I will have the links in the show notes as to where they can get the book. And to Lovely. you as well, uh, is there, now you're on LinkedIn. Any other uh, websites so our, our, or social media? Our, our website is called Dog Internet of Things. And the book again is called When Your Child Asks for a Dog. And the subtitle is one-eyed Leo guides the way. So maybe one last word about Leo. Leo is a dog that came into my life. He does exist. Um, He has only one eye, was in a car crash, disabled, and was in a rescue shelter for a while. So he um, just happened to be the perfect dog at the right time. And if you like, his, his sort of life is has been extremely difficult, but his spirit is taking him everywhere around the world at the moment. <laughs> and oh, the, Karen, that's, that's beautiful. So the, the book has been translated into four or five languages at the moment, and we've had some we have some veterinary organizations backing it. Um it's been endorsed by uh, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and the International Society of Animal Professionals, as well as a host of of leading dog welfare experts, dog trainers, dog lawyers. So, wow, the, that's fantastic! Yeah. So the the um, the ambition, anyway, is that it would just change the mindset of people who are encountering this conversation <laughs> for the first time. So I would say and to any happens. parent, yeah, I would just finally say to any parent out there, don't panic. And the book will be a knockdown price. I think it's only about um, $12.50. Now, we we have a sort of a unique marketing strategy. We are, we are going to put it on Amazon in the next week or two, but we'll be also selling it through dog welfare websites. And the cost will be a lot lower on a dog welfare website than you get it on Amazon because the intention is to only work through the dog welfare websites eventually. Yes. And yes. we want to keep the money in the industry, not in not with the, the Amazons of the world, but we, we have to go down that route for the moment for the next few months just to get the word out there. Yes, absolutely. Oh, well, you've been so dedicated to this project. It's phenomenal. And the dog world appreciates that, Karen. Well, I, I, I want to finish up with a special thank you to you, Billy, because I think a lot of your listeners not, may not realize um, the very large part you played in this book. And, and I, I worked for a magazine many years ago, and it's the most Difficult and thankless job you ever have is the sub-editing and going through word by word and sentence by sentence. And it's something you have done. And it's um I'll put it this way: the work you put in there, it's it's, it's given the book a right backbone and a spine. Um, but also it sort of flows nicely because you you found things in there that 50 other experts just didn't see. So I would say your what's the word your prints are all over it <laughs> and thank you thanks once again well, thank you so much that was oh i really appreciate that um 
I feel emotional over that. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed working with you and I just think you're wonderful. And thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a million, Billy. Thanks a million. Take care, Karen. Bye. Take care. So I'm going to flip this conversation on its back and have a short chat on bringing a child into your life while you already have a dog. It is so common for couples to have a great dog and then when they bring a baby home, they feel the need to either rehome or surrender their dog. And this is not a bad dog. In fact, the reason they give for surrendering is nothing horrible or bad. They claim they don't have enough time. What this really means is that they had to adjust their life and their activities too much because the dog was not well-trained enough to be included into these new activities that were happening due to the arrival of a baby. For example, walking with a stroller. Now they have to have separate walks, their dog from their child, because the leash reactivity prior to having the baby arrive, it it was manageable using distractions or avoidance, but not so much when you're walking with a stroller or they can't have people over. And they could have people over before, but the dog was jumping and generally being a nuisance, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. The dog would just kind of go lay down. But now that there's a baby there, the dog is wanting to be more involved and there's different people coming and it's just, oh, all too difficult. So then they have to separate the dog. As well, there's other babies and children coming and it's just simply too much. And so the dog gets put away and then it's extra time because they have to spend that time separately with the dog. They also want to go places with their family, such as picnics and play dates and camping. And then they start to think about, oh, in the future, we're going to go to baseball games or soccer and and they're going to want to have birthday parties as the child grows up. And uh, this all just seems like there's no way the dog is going to be able to be able to enjoy life with that family. And it just gets too much and they surrender the dog. These are all workable and they all work as a whole. Dogs can learn to be included in these activities. Of course, it's recommended to start working on these prior to the arrival of the baby. So if you sort of think to yourself, wow, could I do this activity with my dog and with a child and sort of have this realistic outlook on whether you could or not, we can start working on those. Canine CBT is effective because unlike conventional techniques, it's intended to change, not establish, routines and behaviors. So these dogs already have routines and behaviors. We can change those. It's actually not that time-consuming. By keeping good dogs in homes, we can decrease the number of dogs in shelters and in rescue organizations. So please be proactive if possible and seek information. Please share this information as well, and and your support is appreciated. And I think Karen's book would make a great Christmas gift. Please do not hesitate to reach out to any of the guests on any of the episodes, and please support our efforts by following us on social media. All the links are in the show notes. Thanks again to our wonderful musicians, the Jeff Murdoch Band and Open Strum. Please email me with any questions to billy at upperdogology.com. Enjoy your learning journey.